Sometimes all it takes is your personal testimony. All you have to do is tell them about the goodness of God. Kind of like that, that blind man that got healed. And, and then they say, you know, this man, is, we know this man is a sinner. Why don't, why don't you give God the glory? He said, you know what? I don't know what that man is a sinner or not. I don't know who he is, but I can tell you one thing. I can tell you what he did for me. And what he's done is saved our lives and gave us eternity. It's just up to us to accept the gift. We are inside of a sermon series entitled Engaging the Mission of Jesus. Today, guest pastor, Elder Johnny Foster, delivers a message entitled, Sharing the Gospel with Others. Follow along in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and listen as Elder Johnny Foster explains. As you can see, the book of Matthew, written by the, the apostle Matthew, one of the chosen, as you know, Matthew was a, he was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors don't have very good reputation back then, and they still don't have them now. <laughs> and it's often wondered why Jesus chose this one man. But he has the longest of the four Gospels. Did you know that? 28 chapters are in the Gospel of Matthew. Mark doesn't have, Luke doesn't have that many, neither does John. But these verses, this scripture, are the last book, the, excuse me, the last chapter, and the last verse of that chapter. Now, that shows me there's a significance that Matthew put on this. This is a man that walked with Jesus, that talked with Jesus, and saw all that he did. But when he sat down to write his gospel, he chose to use this verse as his last words, his last testimony to us. I think it speaks to the fact that Matthew understood that this it was the most important thing that he had spoken of. Yes, he had told us about all the miracles and all the wonderful things that Christ has done. He spoke of his character. He spoke of his love. But he wanted to leave us the Gospels were written for us. He wanted to leave us with this. I call it his drop the mic moment. When he was getting ready to finish his Gospel, he said, I need to leave you with this because this is important. So let's break down this scripture. Go, let's, let's back up a little bit and go to verse 16. It says, but the 11 proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I have four observations from this scripture, and I'm going to try to share them with you. My first one is Jesus declares the importance of his divine instruction. What did I mean here? He told his disciples that I have something to say, but I need you to meet me in Galilee, three times on the night when he met with his disciples in that upper room. He was facing the cross. He knew he would soon be crucified. They say he, they sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives and he sat down and he talked to him. He says, this night is going to be a rough night. He quoted an old scripture. He said, the shepherd would be smitten and the sheep would be scattered. 
But he said, but after I have been risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. First time. Second time, after the crucifixion, Mary and the other Mary are going down to the tomb to finish the burial procedure, and they meet this angel, and he's sitting there. And I said, I know who you're looking for. Jesus, who was crucified. But he is not here. He has risen. He said, go he, tell his disciples that he has risen. On the way to tell the disciples, the third time, Mary and the other Mary, they met Jesus. And he says, tell the brethren to leave for Galilee, for I will be there to see them. Now, anytime something happens three times in Scripture, we know that signifies importance, right? So Jesus is letting them know that, hey, I have something important. Everything that I've spoken to you is very important, but this is what I need to do. You see what happens is he is facing going back to heaven. He's sitting there understanding that I will not be here very long. The Bible said he tarried with them only 40 days. And while he was there, I need to leave you with this. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The second thing I want to declare, uh, second observation is Jesus declares his divine power and authority. What is the very first thing he said when he got there? He said, all authority has been given me in heaven and in earth. And you said, why would he start off the conversation with this? Because if you read up above, it said they worshiped him, but there were some who doubted, doubted. This is what Jesus said. I am the one that you've been looking for. I am the Messiah. Anytime you tell someone, I have all authority, given to me in heaven and in earth, what you're saying is, I am that one that was spoken of. I'm the one that Isaiah talked about, the suffering servant. I'm Ezekiel's will in the middle of the will. I'm that one. I'm the seed of the woman in the garden that's going to crush his head. They understood that, yes, this is the one. Many of them doubted. Even John the Baptist asked the question, are you the one or should we wait for another? And he said, go tell John. All that you've seen, eyes have been opened, people have been healed. By making this declaration, Jesus affirmed to his disciples that his Father in heaven had given him this authority. Letting him taking away all doubt. And this is the scripture that we often call the Great Commission. Now, commission, by definition, is a formal granting of power and authority to someone else to act on your behalf. I think the closest thing we have to that is what we call a power of attorney. You know, the Bible said that, that, that God had given him a name that's above every name, right? 
And he said, at the name of Jesus, every tongue should confess that he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that everyone would know that he is Christ. There is no other name higher than the name. And he said that if you would ask anything in my name, it will be done. So he gave them the authority to use his name, but understanding that he was getting ready to go back with the Father, he let them know, I have the authority. Now I'm getting ready to pass that baton to you so that you would have that authority. The second observation is he declares his divine instruction. After he's affirmed the importance of the message, after he's affirmed that who, who he is, he declares this. This is what I need you to do. Go, make, baptize, teach. Now, if I had a graphic, I would take that and not put it in a straight line, but I would put it in a circle because that is the circle of evangelism that we first have to go and then we make disciples and then we baptize those after they affirm their belief in Christ and then we teach them and after you have absorbed all the teaching and all the preaching, what happens? You go and you make disciples and you baptize and you teach and the cycle continues to go and that's why Matthew has such an importance. Go, make, baptize, and teach. If the church was doing that today, what kind of world would this be? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not only good to make the gospel available, but we need to make it accessible. So, so what, what does that mean? That We need to take it to where they are. Just because something is available don't mean it's accessible. You know, this is a good, safe place for us to come. But if we really want to spread the gospel to unbelievers, this may not be the best location. Because I'm sure on, on this day, we are filled with believers, right? We are filled with people who already confess Christ. We are filled with people that already know him. So if I want to go out and evangelize, if I want to go make disciples, I think, oh, you already, I'm in the wrong place. And that's why he said you need to go. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it over in the book of Romans. And sometimes this book is misinterpreted because we quote it, oh, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that is true. But listen to the point that Paul is making here. He says, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, starting with Romans 10 and 8. He said that if we would confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And he goes on to say, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And most of the time we stop right there because that is so beautiful, that is so great. And yes, that is the word of, of salvation that we preach, that word that is in us. But that is the point. Paul is saying the word is near you. It's in you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. But then he says this, and we all know that whosoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he asks this, but then he goes through these questions. Question number one, he says, but how will they call on him who they not believe? 
You have the word in your heart. You have it in your mouth. You know that this word is the word of faith that brings salvation. But how can the unbeliever call on this if he does not believe? And the second question is, how will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? You see, we start too soon. We, we didn't get to the point that Paul was trying to make. He's asking the question, and how will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear if there's nobody there to tell them, to explain to them, to break the word down to them? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? Somebody got to go. Not only make it available, we got to make it accessible. Jesus said it this way. He said, we need to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them. Not just ask them. He said, compel them to come into my house that my house may be full. He said in Matthew 9 and 37, this I say to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous. There are so many people out there who need to hear the word. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And then what he said, but seek the Lord of the harvest that you would send workers into the field. Go, make, baptize, teach. My fourth and final observation is Jesus declares his divine assistance. This is what he says, and lo, I am with you always. Even until the end of the earth, I'm with you always. See, what Jesus is saying is, I've already done all the heavy lifting. I've already done the hard part, you know. But I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm not going to just leave you out there. I'm going to send you what? A helper. And he's not going to abandon you. He's going to be with you even until the end of the world. Paul said, what could separate us from the love of God? Nothing will separate us, even until the end of ages. John 14 and 16, he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And John says over in the 26th verse, but the helper, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. God has sent his Holy Spirit to be a helper for us. Like I said, he's done the hard part. What do we have to do? You know, they told me that the, the muscles involved in speaking are muscles that seem to never wear out and never get tired. Do you notice that? So if, 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 if God, Jesus has already shed his blood on the cross, he's already gone through all the suffering and the pain and shed that blood that redeems us. And over here, he's already sent us the Holy Spirit. We're right in the middle. All we have to do is what? Tell somebody. Use that muscle that never gets tired. You know how it is. I mean, we can talk on the phone for hours. But God has said, why don't you go and tell somebody? Tell them of his goodness. And you said, well, you know, I, I don't have a lot of scripture. I don't have a lot of theology. I, I, I don't know. But 
chapter and verse. But see, sometimes all it takes is your personal testimony. All you have to do is tell them about the goodness of God. Kind of like that, that blind man that got healed. And, and then they say, you know, this man, is, we know this man is a sinner. Why don't, why don't you give God the glory? He said, you know what? I don't know what that man is a sinner or not. I don't know who he is, but I can tell you one thing. I can tell you what he did for me. And sometimes that's all we need to do. We need to just tell him, say, girl, let me tell you. See, before I received Jesus, I, my heart was broken. I was I was. Messed up from the flow up. I, I just had all my, I couldn't pay my bills. I couldn't sleep at night. But oh, when the peace of Jesus came over. Oh, when I, that flood, that flood my soul. The songwriter said, I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, sinking the ride. No more. He said, but the what? master of the sea. Heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me. Now say, am I? Just tell them your personal testimony. Over in the book of Revelations, there, there's, this, there's this revelation of John where he's seeing this vision in the last days when they're talking about the devil being cast down. And he said that, that he was the accuser of the brethren, but he was cast down and he was defeated by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of your testimony. See, sometimes we underestimate how powerful our testimony is. We underestimate. Sometimes people don't want to know first uh, chapter, verse in scripture. They just want to know what God has done for you. And that's all you need to tell them is, I don't know a lot of Bible. I don't know a lot of scripture. But girl, let me just tell you what the Lord has done for me. And you know, you have the helper. You have the Holy Spirit. Pastor Martin did it so elegantly when he talked about fishing. He said, God didn't send us to be catchers. He sent us to be fishers. He said, he'll do the catching. What did he tell him? If you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. We have the easy part. All we have to do is tell them. God is going to be the one that's going to convict their heart. God is going to be the one that prepared them. You know, there's the parable of the sower. And it says the sower went out, to, went, out, went out to plant. And he sowed some seeds. But some of them fell by the wayside. And the birds came in and devoured it up. But some of those seeds also fell among stones. stones and the stones choked them out where they couldn't take root. Some of them fell among thorns and thistles, and, and as soon as they would sprout up, they were choked out. But he said, but some of the seeds fell on fertile ground, and they began to broom, and they began to grow, and they brought forth much fruit. See, if we would just be sowers of the word, just go out and tell people what God said, we're not, he didn't call us to have results. Sometimes we're counting here. Well, how many people got saved? How many people came to the Lord? But what we need to say, well, how many people went out and shared the word? Yeah. You know, maybe that's what we should be monitoring. Maybe that's what we should be counting. Not head counts of how many came, but how many went. Jesus has done all the heavy lifting. All we have to do is simply open our mouths and speak the word. 
Speak the word. I have three points. I'm going to leave you with these three points. The first point is sharing the gospel is a shared responsibility. Too often in the church, we, we think of, well, if I could just get them to come to my church so they can hear my pastor preach. <laughs> you know, you know, hey, girl, you need to come to my, what? man, you need to come to my church and listen to my pastor. But you're the one right there talking to him. <laughs> you're the one that sits by him every day. He's on your team. He's in your classroom. And you're trying to get him to come out to the church so you can hear my pastor. Share the word where you are. Share the word with them as they come by, as you sit down at lunch. Tell them about the goodness of Jesus. It's a shared responsibility. Peter put it like this. He said in verse, uh, 1 Peter 3 and 15, he said, but sanctify the Lord Jesus in your heart and always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks, giving an account of the hope that is in you. What is Peter saying? We should always be ready. That word that we have, we should always be ready to share. But he said, but do it with what? Gentleness and reverence. It's a shared responsibility. But if you're still reluctant, you know, remember that God said, I will bring it to your remembrance. I will do all the hard lifting. I will do the work for you. Point number three is God, sharing God's gospel is the ultimate way to demonstrate our love for God and our love for him. You in the song, that second verse in that song of Go, it says, if you love me, feed my sheep. This is taken from the incident where Peter is sitting on the seaside and Jesus said, Peter, do you love these more than me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Lord, Peter got frustrated because he asked him, Peter, do you love these more than me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. So if God so loved us, if God went as far as he did to save us, why would we have that same love for our brothers? This is what it says in 1 John four and nine. You know, it starts off, beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. But it goes on to say, but this is the love of God which was manifesting us, that God was, has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a perpetuation, a payment, a satisfaction for the sin debt we have for our sins. And this is the part I mean, I really love. He said, beloved, if God so loved us, if God so loved me, we also, also love one another. Don't you, don't you feel like if God went that far, if God paid that price for the sinner, the Bible said that he commended his love toward us that while we were what? Yet sinners. He didn't wait till I got all righteous. He didn't wait till I got all right. 
He didn't wait till I had laid all my sins aside. Jesus died for the ungodly. The scripture say he so loved the world. It didn't say he loved Amity. He didn't say he loved all the Christians, all the saved folks. It said God so loved the world, all of us. What he was doing, he was saying, I'm making salvation not only available, but accessible. It's free. But it wasn't cheap. It was, it's free. But it wasn't cheap. See, see, it was purchased by nothing more than the precious blood of Jesus. Somebody said, Whoa, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. Because of the love that Christ had for us, we should love one another. My third point and my final is that sharing the gospel with others has mutual benefits. Now, we understand that when we share the gospel with someone and their lives are affected, they're, they're, they are regenerated and they're born again, that they are, the man, they are the benefactors of sharing the gospel, right? But we also know that we, those that share the gospel, also are benefactors. And what do I mean by that? The scripture is very clear what it says, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing what? That your labor, your toil, your work is not in vain. Why is it not in vain? Because it says so here in 1 Corinthians 3 and 8, now we who plant it and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to to his own labor. God is a good boss man. <laughs> he pays well. Yes, he does. He, he, he doesn't just send you out there. He's not a slave master. He gives out rewards. And not only does he give out rewards, he has a trophy ceremony in heaven. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, this last letter, when he was telling Timothy that the time of my departure has come. And he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. But he said, in the future is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. We got a bunch of athletes in here. I know they strive hard because they want that trophy, right? They want that thing that says state champions or district champions. But because you worked hard, the sweat, the labor, the practices. What God is saying, if you would just go out and work for me, I will give you a crown. I will give you that trophy. The righteous judge will give me, not only me, but all those who love his appearance. This is one of the benefits of sharing the gospel that is often overlooked. I call it the, the generational Benefit. You know, we, we're talking about this young man in, in our Sunday school lesson, Philip. Philip was the Ethiopian that had come to Jerusalem and he came to worship. I mean, excuse me, the Ethiopian eunuch had come to, to uh, Jerusalem to worship. But God sent Philip to minister to him. And Philip came by the 
the chariot and he, he spoke to him and explained the scriptures to him. And history says that that Ethiopian who went back to Ethiopia with the gospel, that that gospel was spread. Right now, there's an Ethiopian Christian Orthodox church in Ethiopia because of the seed that was planted by Philip. Philip left a mega church. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. He left the mega church in Samaria to go minister to one person. Yes. And that one person planted a seed over in Ethiopia that grew into a mega, mega church. You see the benefits of that. There's a mutual benefit that goes beyond just the personal sharing and the person that's receiving. Sharing the gospel is a collective societal benefit as well. Think about this. What would the world be like if it wasn't for the word of God? What would the world be like? What, what would I be like? What would you be like if we had not shared the gospel, heard the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked because the answer is already in the scripture. You know, in theology, there, there's this thing we call dispensations, right? You know, there's a dispensation of innocence, which was when, when God created Adam, and, and Adam and God walked together in the garden before the fall of man. And that was like a dispensation of innocence. But after the fall of man, between the sin of Adam and the flood, they call that the dispensation of conscience. And this is what, it, what the, that means. Dispensation of conscience demonstrates what mankind will do if left to his own will and conscience. They didn't have the Ten Commandments then. They didn't have the Word of God. They didn't have the Old Testament or the New Testament. They didn't have prophets or priests in the land. The Word of God was absent. And this is the testimony that God had toward them. Genesis 6 and 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent and thought of his heart was what? Only evil continually. Well, you think it's bad down here now? All the gun violence, all the street violence, all the things that are going on, these horrific things. But yet we still have the word of God. We still have scripture. We still, you know, that, that could have been you or me. We could have been some of those people. Except for the grace of God, I could have been that person. But somewhere back then, somebody said, vengeance is mine, said the Lord. I will repay. Somewhere back there, I heard somebody say, pray for those that despitefully use you. We are the benefit factors of seeds that were planted generations ago. I remember my great-grandmother and my grandmother and my mother. All these were women of faith who poured into my life. So I'm standing here. I'm the fruit of a tree that was planted over 100 years ago. So when we, when we share the gospel, when we spread the good news, who knows, we're planting a tree that will bear fruit for generation after generation. I love what Paul said to Timothy. He said, Timothy... I know you're a man of faith. You're full of faith. You're unfringing faith. 
but that is the faith that came from your grandmother, Lois, and your what? Your mother, Eunice. Letting him know. We know that Paul was, a, was the mentor for Timothy. Paul was the one that encouraged Timothy. Paul was the one. Matter of fact, this last letter that he was writing to Timothy, he told him, don't let him, don't let him put you down because you're young. Don't let him look down on your youth. Stir up the gift within you because I know you have that faith. And that faith started with your grandmother, Lois, and it all passed down to your mother, Eunice. These are the two big mamas and mamas that are mentioned in the Bible. And we know that each one of us have people in our lives that we are the benefactors of who poured into us the gospel. So the biggest benefactor of the gospel, I believe, is the generational spiritual gift that it provides. We know we talk about generational wealth, how, it, how, how important that is. But how about generational spiritual faith that is passed down from generation to generation? That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.